Welcome to Salem Alliance Church. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. We're continuing our series called Honorable. This week's message is by Jennifer Roth. You know, as we sit in God's presence, in that time of quiet like that, there might be some of you who that's not been a common practice in your life and you're like, I'm not sure. Can I just say that from my experience, God is moving, even if it's under the waterline movement that you don't necessarily see or know what he's doing. When we submit ourselves to the quietness of his presence and just follow along with the prayers of a leader like Jeff, just inviting God to speak to us, he is moving and he is working. And some of you know that because he was making himself known to you as you sat there. And some of you kind of, if if there was a cartoon, there'd be a little question mark over your head, like, what was God just doing? And, And it may be that you find out a day or a week or a month later, and you go, oh, something is shifting in my world, and it's God's work, but sometimes his work is such a mystery, we can't pinpoint when and where and exactly what. So we just engage in his presence with trust that he is speaking to us, and he is transforming us, and he will give us the gift of seeing what that looks like in his right time. So I'm Jennifer Roth. I'm the pastor of Women's Ministries, and I'm really glad you're here this morning. We are finishing up the series on honor, and I get to talk today about living honorably. But before I dive into that, I actually want to give you an update. If any of you were here a couple months ago, you heard me confess in a sermon that I sometimes am not very nice to referees at basketball games. And it was a true and honest confession. And here's what I want you to know. I had an opportunity to be tested in that during summer league this year. And I found that there was something different about me sitting in the stands. And I'm not joking right now. There's something about confession that releases something. And and my heart was changed by confessing that to all of you. And I have not yelled at referees the same way since then. And that's the work of God. (laughs) We'll celebrate that together. So I would like to confess some more things to you. I need more freedom. (laughs) When I was in the eighth grade, I was in an eighth grade girls PE class at Walker Middle School. And you need to know that at that time in my life, I was a very tender-hearted young girl with strong opinions and a loud voice. Um, physically, like just in reality, literally a loud voice. And sometimes those two, those things collided and they collided in this softball class because my PE teacher was the umpire and I was just really often disgruntled with her calls, like safe here and out there. And I don't remember much, except I do remember the day that my loud voice got the better of me and I mouthed off one too many times and she sent me into the locker room. And by the time she caught up with me in the locker room, I was sitting on the bench weeping (laughs) because my tender heart had caught up with my loud voice. And I knew what I had done. I knew that I had disrespected her. I knew that I had dishonored her. And so she didn't really even need to say much. As a matter of fact, if you could sit down with my parents, they would probably tell you Jennifer didn't need much verbal correction. Once we sent her to her room, God just did business with her. Like I was always very remorseful. And so my PE teacher came in and found me in this remorseful state, and she didn't have to chew me out much, and she just said this. She said, Jennifer, you're done playing softball for this unit. She said, you're going to be the umpire. (laughs) That was a wise teacher, and it was one of the best lessons I've ever learned, 
Because from behind the plate, I realized how hard it is to see what's going on. And I realized that there's these split seconds. And I realized that we're called to honor people. And there's a reason why. (laughs) Because there are things that you and I can't see. And then there are things that hinder our ability to give that honor that God has asked us to do. Some of the things that hinder us, hinder me, fear hinders me from honoring others. Because I'm afraid if I honor this person, what's that person going to think? Or maybe I'm afraid if I give honor here, is that going to bring pain back to me? If I give up my right to stay mad or to whatever it might be that God is asking of me, there's fear that, that plays into that. Sometimes we're hindered in our ability to honor others by indifference. If we don't even pay attention to the fact that they're there, if we don't care about them, if we ignore what's going on, we can't honor them as as children of God, as made in God's image. When we are indifferent, that hinders our ability to honor others. Immorality hinders our ability to honor. Anger, (laughs) hurt, pain, resentment, holding on to offense, all of these will hinder our ability to honor. Another one that hinders our ability is confusion. I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm confused about what honor means. It's a word we use, and we've been spending this last month here at Salem Alliance unpacking it, but there are still times when you can look at another culture or another people group and and go, but they consider honor differently than I consider honor. So take, for example, the the life of crime where I understand the culture of honor would say you don't rat out your friends, and yet the culture where I grew up in the church culture and where I learned about George Washington and honest Abe Lincoln was you never tell a lie. So this is one group's culture of honor and that's another group's culture of honor and they're completely opposite. Or you look at um, some areas of the United States, I was doing some research on this and some of the Southern culture of honor, not all of it, but some of it is more based on revenge you know, the honor you do to me and mine, so I'm going to do to you and yours. And it's, it's more about violence and revenge than about anything pure-hearted. And when you start then to cross the ocean to other cultures, you've got, you've got um, gestures and, and things that, cre- that mean different things. You've got language barriers. You've got, there are different ways of communicating honor or dishonor. And, and we can get caught up in, who am I supposed to follow? So, For example, when we go to the Middle East to serve our partners there, we get some culture sensitivity training and we're reminded that we're not supposed to cross our legs in public because exposing the bottom of your shoe in a certain direction is a, is very disrespecting to people. And so when we go, we're, we're sensitive to other cultures, but we recognize there's nothing intrinsically wrong with the bottom of my shoe. It just has to do with what that culture expectations is. And so we're influenced by all these things, even Within our American culture, our family of upbringing has a certain way of expressing honor or not. As a matter of fact, if you're a boater, there's kind of a code of ethics that I'd like to just let you in on. If you are a boater that pulls inner tubers, it's dishonoring to the skiers and the wakeboarders to be out on the lake before a certain time on the morning. And I'm guessing each lake is a little bit different. The one I routinely go to is about 9.30 or 10. You know, leave all that smooth water for the skiers. There's unwritten rules in honor. 
We can be hindered by, by just not even knowing what it is it's supposed to look like. And so it won't surprise you that as we unpack this today, we're going to be looking at what does this, the Bible, the word of the living God say about honor? How does he say to live? How does, how does he say to align our lives so that we bring honor not to ourselves, but to him? Because see, in this series, Rod started and, and reminded us that honor is an attitude. And, and then Susan and Brian had some weeks where they talked about some specific audiences that God called us to honor, elders and authority and our parents. And we know that the Bible says to honor, and we know that it tells us why. So let's just pull one of those verses that we've talked about this month and, and start there today. 1 Peter 2.12 be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. So we're called to live honorably so that whether it's unbelievers or believers who are noticing what we are doing, they will notice and give honor to God. 2 Corinthians says we're careful to be honorable before the Lord, but we also want everyone else to see that we are honorable. And yet, we're not seeking for everyone else to see that we're honorable for our own sake, for our own prestige and our own position. We're seeking to reflect the honor of God and in everything we do reflect his glory by making decisions that would honor him. And so living honorably isn't about gaining something for ourselves. It's about gaining honor for God. I was reminded of this a couple weeks ago when I was praying for my son who was at basketball camp. He was away at an overnight, week-long basketball camp that was not a Christian-based camp and was full of other teenage boys who may or may not have had any Christian background in their life. And as you can imagine, uh, every now and then the Holy Spirit would bring my son to mind and I would just say a prayer for what was going on for him that week. And there was one day that I was out walking and the prayer that rose up in my mind was, God, would you help my son make choices that honor you. And because I was preparing to preach this message, it, it caught my attention that I used the word honor in this prayer because I don't know about you, but sometimes we use words and don't pay attention to what we're saying. Or I use words and I don't really know what they mean. So I paused that day and I thought to myself, what do I mean when I pray, would you help my son make choices that honor you? And as I began to think about that, I realized that what I meant was, I hope that when someone is being unkind, my son will be kind. I hope that when someone is tearing someone else down, my son will find a way to, to build them up. I hope that if he's doing well on the court, he will be humble. And if he's doing poorly on the court, he will be at peace. And, and perhaps most of all, I hope that when those teenage boys get carried away with their crass joking and begin to cross the line into what is inappropriate, that my son would know when to leave the conversation or help turn the conversation in a different direction. In short, I hope that my son will do at camp what we've taught him to do at home. I hope that the lessons he has learned and the ways that he's learned to live will translate to what he's doing at camp when we are not around. And isn't that what it is for you and I as well? That we would live the way these instructions tell us to live. That, that we would live the way Jesus modeled life in the way that he treated people in the relationships he was in, in the way he did life with the world around him. Even when nobody is looking, will we live honorably when nobody notices what we're doing? Deuteronomy 26 says it like this, looking at kind of a specific way that we live honorably. 
The Lord has declared today that you are his people, his own special treasure, just as he promised. Isn't it something to be the special treasure of the living God? I've so enjoyed worshiping all five times this weekend and being reminded that we are God's people, his special treasure. And that you must obey all his commands. And if you do, he will set you high above all the other nations he has made. Then you will receive praise, honor, and renown. You will be a nation that is holy to the Lord your God, just as he promised. It's a classic biblical if-then. If ever you're reading the Bible and you see the word then or the word therefore, you look back and you see what the if was or what the therefore is about. And in this one, we look and we see that then you will receive honor, then you will leave honorably refers back to if you obey. If you obey the Lord, then you will live honorably. And that's where we land today with how do we live honorably on a day-to-day basis? Well, we live honorably by obeying the word of the Lord. And yet if you're like me, and some of you might be and some of you might not be, here's a true confession of mine. For many years now, I have been processing with the Lord that I have trouble with the word obey. The word obey for me is a four-letter word. As a matter of fact, there was a season in life when I referred to it as the O word. And the reason is because for me, the idea of obedience is tangled up in some preconceived ideas and some of the ways that I responded to my upbringing, and it's tangled up with this idea of control and somebody being the controller and somebody being the controlled. And so for me, when, when, when the Bible is talking about or somebody is teaching about the word obey, I am having to work hard to filter out this idea of being a slave and being like, I just have to do because I'm being controlled and and somebody else has control. And, And I have to wrestle with God, is that really your heart for me? Was that your idea when you created humankind that, that, that you would control and we would be controlled? And I don't think that's God's heart. And yet his word does say obey. So I know for me that there's a concept that's wrapped up in this word that isn't what the word is about. And so I am so grateful for the perspective and the vocabulary shift that we get in Romans 7. And on the screen behind me is the last verse of the passage I'm going to read, but I've, I've decided to read a little bit more to you today, starting in Romans 7, verse 5. When we were controlled by our old nature, sinful desires were at work within us, and the law aroused these evil desires that produced a harvest of sinful deeds resulting in death. That's what's twisted up in my understanding of obedience. But now we have been released from the law, for we died to it and are no longer captive to its power. Now we can serve God, not in the old way of obeying the letter of the law, but in the new way of living in the Spirit. Did you know that you can obey the letter of the law and not be honoring God? Rod talked about that. That there's an attitude of honor and that some actions done the same way by different people could come from a different motive. And we can obey the letter of the law without honoring God, but we can't honor God without obeying him. And so we're given this new perspective that through the Holy Spirit, the new way of obeying God is living in the Spirit. It's less about the nitty-gritty of the nitpicking of every letter of the law, and it's more about, am I listening to the Holy Spirit? Is the Holy Spirit living in me? And am I obeying what God is giving me to obey? And I believe the outcome will be obedience. 
But it's coming from a place of believing that there is a good God who wants the best for me when I listen to his spirit and I obey, whether that's through what I sense the spirit speaking to my spirit or what I read in his word, then I am living in the way that he is asking me to live, which is honorable. There's an author that I like to read who says it this way. She says, our call to holiness in reality is a call to obedience. The word obedience comes from the Latin obadiens, which means to bend the ear or to listen intently. We bend an ear to the divine sounds in our lives so that we might be able to discern how God is leaning towards us. We bend an ear toward the divine sounds in our life. You know, Steve announced the Recognizing God's Voice Conference. If this is something that's relatively new to you, can I just join him in recommending that to you? It is a key component of our discipleship to recognize when the voice of God is speaking to us. In John 10, he talks about being the shepherd and the sheep know his voice. If you're somewhere in your journey where you're intrigued by this idea, that would be a phenomenal conference to go to. So we lean in to obedience by leaning into listening and then following what he's given us to do. But I'm not saying that that's easy. Sometimes the things that God is asking us to do are quite hard, whether it's simply to believe that we're loved and live from that place of being loved instead of living from a place of fear, or having the Holy Spirit highlight someone and, and following that highlight to give a word of encouragement or a word of exhortation, or maybe there's a conviction that comes and we need to enter into repentance and confession, or, or maybe there's a truth that we know God has said we need to be living by and we're not doing it yet. Obedience isn't easy, but it is good. And it is the way to living honorably. One of the keys that I've found, a second key to living honorably, is found in Numbers chapter 20. And I want to set the background for you a little bit. The nation of Israel has been delivered from Egypt as slaves, and they've been wandering in the desert for quite some time. And the people are thirsty, and they're complaining. And it's not the first time this has happened. The first time this happened, Moses went to God, and God said, hit the rock, and water came out of the rock, and God quenched the thirst of the people. And the second time, Moses goes to God, and he says, these people are complaining. What should I do? And God says, go speak to the rock. And, and we don't know why, but Moses didn't speak to the rock. Moses hit the rock. Maybe he was angry. Maybe he wanted to demonstrate his authority before the people. Maybe he really wanted God to do it the same way he'd done it before. Whatever the reason, Moses hit the rock, and God still honored by bringing water out of the rock and quenching the thirst of the people. But he had some very strong words to say to Moses. Numbers 20, verse 12. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron... Because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. Because you did not trust in me enough to honor me before the people. And I read that and this light bulb went off in my head. You see, we can only honor to the same extent that we trust. So if you think back to Brian's sermon about honoring elders and honoring authority, how do we honor authority that we don't respect? How do we honor authority that we didn't vote for? How do we honor authority that we think is leading the nation down the wrong path? Well, we can only obey God's call to honor that authority when we believe and trust that God's kingdom is higher than this kingdom. 
When we trust that God's reality is deeper and more real and more solid and more true than the reality you and I live in, when we trust that the authority that we are following is not responsible to fix all of the world's problems, that you and I are not responsible to fix all the world's problems, that that rests in the hands of the almighty God and we can only obey his call to honor when we trust that he is God. And there are things that we can't see that only he knows. Does that mean it's easy? No. It's messy. It's complicated. Sometimes it is difficult to discern how to honor the authority and stand by our convictions. I'm not saying it's easy, but if we can't trust who God is, then we can't begin to obey his call to honor. And what about the sermon that Susan preached about honoring our parents? And Some of us were raised by parents who did a phenomenal job of letting us know that we were loved and cared for and raised us in the church. But I just need to say, all of us were raised by humans. And all of us who are parents are humans raising humans and we make mistakes. And so on a variety, a varying degree, there are people who when they deal with this call to honor their parents are dealing with, how do I honor someone who hurt or abandoned or neglected or abused me or are still hurting me? How do I obey that? Well, we can only obey that call when we trust that God is the one who holds our heart and that God is the one who heals our wounds, and that God is the one who sees even what's below the waterline in my life that I can't even see, and that he is always working on my behalf to redeem, to rescue, to restore, to take what the enemy means for evil and to turn it to his good. We have to remember that what Jesus demonstrated when he came was an upside-down kingdom, where the ways that we were used to treating people and the ways that we were used to looking at authority were not his ways, and that the ways that he taught us of humility and submission and and not returning evil for evil and honoring those even if it was difficult, that these ways are the ways that lead to life, that his call to us is a good call, and we can only live that when we trust that he is God. When we trust God, in his forgiveness. What about when I'm the one in the wrong? What about when I'm the one who's hurt somebody or has dishonored somebody or has not been leading well? It's only when I trust in God's forgiveness and his grace that I can honor the people I have hurt by saying, I'm sorry, I was wrong, will you forgive me? So to live honorably means to humbly Trust and obey the way of the Lord. Several years ago, I taught a little four-year-old preschool class, actually with hearts at home, and this was probably 24 years ago. And there were some little four-year-old twins in the class that were darling boys who actually ended up being my nephews, but at the time of the story, I wasn't yet married to their uncle, nor even thinking about marrying their uncle just makes the story that much more sweet. I was asking this group of four-year-olds, what's your favorite song? And I was expecting the Itsy Bitsy Spider or the ABC song. And this cute little brown-haired kid looked up at me and said, Twist and obey. (laughs) Do you remember it? Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. I think it's that simple, family, church. We trust And we obey, and with humility we recognize that it's not dependent on us, it's on God, and that living honorably is a reflection of him, not to build up ourselves. I want to leave us with a picture as we wrap up this series. 
a metaphor, if you will, of wheat. I live out in the fields between here and Silverton, and, and actually I, do, I have a house and I live in the house, but my house is out in the farm fields. And in the fall, the farmers who are going to grow wheat, some of them grow spring wheat, but fall wheat, they plant in the fall. And I, I chatted with my brother-in-law about it this week. They plant about 100 pounds of this wheat seed per acre. And when that wheat seed, so have you ever driven through in the fall or the spring and seen the farmers have plowed up their fields and there's all that rich, dark brown earth in these big clods and then they come through with another implement and they, they smooth it down and they smooth it down again and when the soil is ready, they place the seed in the soil and then when it's fall wheat, they don't even have to run their irrigation because Oregon has some natural irrigation that lasts for a long time. And so throughout the fall and the winter, the rains water the seed and the seed grows and its roots grow down and its root deepen so that when the rain stops and the water stops, the, the wheat is strong enough to grow on its own and to, to finish its process of growing. And if you've been out in the fields lately, you've seen these acres and acres of blonde wheat ready to be harvested. And the interesting thing about wheat is there's a very specific time when you can harvest. If you harvest it too soon, the wheat seed will stick to the husk and you, you won't get quite the yield. And if you wait too long and harvest it too late, the seed in here will sprout and you'll lose your harvest. And so there's, there's just a right time. And the farmers pay close attention. And when they see that it's just right for harvesting, they come through. And if you've been out there this last week, you've seen combines. You've probably gotten stuck behind a combine on the road um, going through through their fields and harvesting their, their wheat seed. The other fascinating thing about wheat is how strong it is. My father-in-law likes to mention and comment that on these spindly stalks, if you look out over that acre, that six-inch layer at the top of the two-foot spindly stalk is holding up about three tons of wheat. So from that hundred pounds of seed that was sown, there's a harvest of six to 10,000 pounds that 60 to 100 times multiplication. That field packed tightly together on all their stocks, standing in strength together, is like the trust that upholds that weight of honor. And yet, have you ever noticed how fragile a stock of wheat is? That it takes next to no pressure at all to break it. Friends, we need each other. I don't just seek to live honorably for myself. I seek to invite others into the journey with me, to encourage others, to inspire others, to recognize that when we live honorably together, we are able to be a part of God bringing that harvest, that 60 to 100 time harvest to the world that needs him so desperately. And the thing is, so often when wheat is harvested, what it's used for is ground down into flour to make many things, but bread is one of those things. And in the Old Testament, the priests would bring the bread to the altar, the, the bread of the presence that was a reminder of the God who created the world and who exists before the time present and will exist long beyond now. And then when Jesus came, he revealed himself as the bread of life. He said, I am the way and the truth of the life. No one comes through the Father except through me. And we, by being his children, who get to live honorably and be part of that harvest that is multiplied, get to bring this bread of life to people who desperately need him. We are so quick to look at our world and, and tear it down and talk about what's negative and to chip away at it, whether that's just through our conversations with our friends or our social media or, or wherever it may be. Will we become a people that in honoring those that God calls us to honor, 
to stop gossiping and to start praying, to stop cutting down and begin to build up? Will we be those who will bring the bread of life to the people who need him? They're not going to receive him by us criticizing and complaining about them. They're going to receive him when they see us demonstrating his honor and loving them. And on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus broke the bread. They were celebrating Passover, being reminded of the bread of the presence, the one who had rescued and redeemed them. Do you know that the reason that we have unleavened bread at communion is, is, and Passover is a reminder that their redemption was so close, there wasn't even time for the bread to rise. The redemption of our world is so much closer than you and I think. Time to God is so much different than what you, you and I think. And, and we get stuck in our own time and we wonder when change is gonna happen. The timing is not up to us. Remember the wheat? There's a perfect time to harvest and God is the farmer that knows that time. We cannot become impatient. We simply wait and reflect his honor and trust him with the timing. And when he broke that bread, Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. This is my body broken for you. He gave them the cup and he said, this is my blood poured out for you. This is the harvest that we are invited to be a part of by living honorably. Several weeks ago, our lead pastor, Steve Fowler, sent an email out to the preaching team and some of the worship team, casting vision for why do this series on honor? Why talk for a whole month with our church family about what it looks like to live honorably? And I want to read to you what this says. What would it be like to be part of a community that noticed what was right about one another? What if our community thought the best of one another? What would it be like for the elderly among us to feel an increasing admiration for them as they aged? What if we possessed the wisdom to know how to honor those we may not agree with? To dishonor people appears to be a cultural value. I want my church family, our church family, this church family, to be a place where a weightiness is attached to how we view each other. We are made in the image of God. Let's learn how to honor each other and swim upstream in the flow of culture. So as we take communion together today, let's remember the bread of the presence, the God who did not leave us as orphans, but sent his son and remember that son, the bread of life and his sacrifice for us, his body and his blood poured out for us. Yes, let's, let's remember. And as we remember, for those of you who have made the decision that many of us have made to be followers of Christ, let's remember that commitment. That invitation that we answered with a yes, and we said, God, anything, anywhere, I am your follower, I will go, I will obey, I will trust. Let's let this time around the communion table today be a reminder that we are invited into something so much bigger than ourselves, and our part is to trust and obey. Thank you for joining us on the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. We are a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at prayers at salemalliance.org. If you'd like more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org.